tonight in Berkeley. Be there or be square. We will be live broadcasting the entire thing, and I'll give you the update. Plus, President Trump, uh, he just made a deal with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer on the border. Or did he? But yeah, he sort of did. We'll talk about all of those things. Plus, we'll do a little bit about big ideas on today's Ben Shapiro Show. I am Ben Shapiro. It's a day of joy. It's a day of fun. It's a day of laughter for everyone. Yes, I'm going to Berkeley this afternoon. So that will be a party. And I'm about to give you the update on that. Um, I have to say, for little old me, they are doing a fair bit of security work. It's pretty amazing. I have some video of it that I want to show you. Uh, and I also want to give you the full analysis of Donald Trump doing what those of us who always thought he was going to do, you know, this actually he did it okay so finally we've been saying for a year that donald trump was never going to really build this wall that the wall was basically something he was just saying during the campaign he'd build sections of the wall that it was all just a campaign slogan that he was shouting uh and now it appears he cut a deal with nancy pelosi and chuck schumer to legalize the dreamers and not get funding for the border wall so maga 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 okay so we'll get to all of that but first i want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Birch Gold. So, do you feel uncertain about the world? If you don't, it's because you're stupid. You should feel uncertain about the world because the world is an uncertain place. And in these perilous times, whether it's natural disasters or whether it is terrorist attacks or whether it is just the vagaries of politics, it is possible that your stocks are going to get hit. And that's why you need to put some of your money in precious metals. Everyone should have at least some of their money in precious metals. You should diversify. That's what Birch Gold is for. Right now, if you go to birchgold.com Ben, you can contact Birch Gold Group and request that free information kit on physical precious metals. It's a 16-page kit. It shows how gold and silver can protect your savings, how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of risky stocks and bonds and into a precious metals IRA. To get that kit, go to birchgold.com slash Ben, birchgold.com slash Ben. They're the people that I trust to invest in precious metals. They have a long-standing track record of success with thousands of satisfied clients, countless five-star reviews, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They're the people that I would trust, birchgold.com slash Ben, to get that comprehensive 16-page free kit. Okay, so I'm going to get to... Trump and Schumer and Pelosi, the happy gang, the bunch of buddies. We'll get to them in just one second. But first, I'm going to give you the update on Berkeley. So it is now obvious that uh, the police are expecting some bad stuff to happen. There are apparently two protests that are supposed to happen tomorrow at Berkeley. Oh, today at Berkeley, rather. Uh, one, is the, uh, one is a protest directed against yours truly, and the other is directed against the police themselves, which should be a lot of fun. Here is some of the, the tape of the preparations that are being made for security over in Berkeley this evening from the local news. If you can't see, they're literally setting up K-Bar in, in, in front of Zellerbach Hall, which is where I'm going to be speaking. They were doing this in the middle of the night, setting up these cement barriers. They were doing this for blocks around, apparently. They're blocking off a main street in Berkeley today. All for me. And I understand I'm a physically imposing specimen. But still, this seems a little weird. Uh, listen, I, I guess that if you if you use Democrat Keynesian economics, then you have to acknowledge I'm creating more jobs in Berkeley than the current mayor of Berkeley. Right? I, I, I look at this. I'm, I'm creating infrastructure jobs just by just by visiting. I'm creating infrastructure jobs. Berkeley is saying that for upcoming security events, my event, the Free Speech Week that's happening next week, uh, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on security, all because Antifa is insane and because leftists are totally crazy. So uh, the good news is that Berkeley looks like they're taking seriously the security issue. The bad news is that Berkeley is gonna build a wall before Trump does, like long before Trump does, because the other big news today is that President Trump appears to have cut a deal 
with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer over DACA. That would be President Obama's executive amnesty. So here is what Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer said yesterday after emerging from a meeting with President Trump. Okay, this is their, their press release. We had a very productive meeting at the White House with the president. The discussion focused on DACA. We agreed to enshrine the protections of DACA into law quickly and to work out a package of border security excluding the wall that's acceptable to both sides. We also urged the president to make permanent the cost-sharing reduction payments, and those discussions will continue. Uh, that, that last is a reference to Obamacare. It was uh, acknowledged last night in little, un, uh, really little covered news that Trump was looking to move toward fixing Obamacare rather than repealing and replacing it. That went by the wayside because everybody is very upset over the, the amnesty stuff. And what they are talking about here is amnesty. And even Trump's most ardent allies are really ticked about it. So the headline last night over at Breitbart was Amnesty Dawn. Amnesty Dawn. You know, five seconds ago, Steve Bannon was saying that he was Trump's most ardent ally. Now it's Amnesty Dawn. Ann Coulter, the author of the, the bestseller In Trump We Trust, now tweets, quote, at this point, who doesn't want Trump impeached? So that's a rather abrupt about face. Even Sean Hannity uh, was, was saying that, that this is not a good deal for Trump. He, of course, put, blamed Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell because that's the way that this works. Basically, uh, a lot of, uh, I, I will say, a solid number of people in Trump's base have turned into Mongo from Blazing Saddles. And if they're, ma they're mad, they just punch a horse. And the horse happens to be Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan. Uh, and the, these tweets, I mean, <laughs> here's what Sean tweeted. If reports true, 100%, I blame Republicans. They caused this. They wanted him to fail and now pushed him into the arms of political suicide, if true. So let me get this straight. They stood up to Obama's executive amnesty for years and, and held it up in the courts. But Trump making a deal with the Democrats is their fault because MAGA, MAGA, underwater, chess, backgammon, McHungry, hungry, hippos, MAGA. And then he says, weak Republicans have betrayed voters. POTUS needs to stay the course and keep his promises or it's over. Pelosi and Schumer can never be trusted. Okay, if they can never be trusted, then why is Trump making these moves? So Pelosi, what's really funny about this is, is that Trump obviously desires the love and respect of a lot of people on the left. And he thinks he can earn it by giving them what they want. Nancy Pelosi yesterday was ripping into Trump. I mean, basically comparing him to FDR interning Japanese people during World War II. She was doing this, and five seconds later, Trump was cutting a deal with her. So a week and a half ago, I was in Chicago, and I saw this art exhibit that I was invited to see. It's called, and then they came for me. And it's about the internment of the Japanese-American uh, patriots in our country who were interred in, interned into camps uh, during World War II, while their family members were fighting for freedom for America and for the world in World War II, uh, they were in camps, and they came for me. And now they're coming for the dreamers. Okay, so she was saying this five minutes ago. Then she goes to the White House, and she convinces Trump, because he's a big heart for the dreamers, as we know, that he, she has to cut a deal with him. The only leverage Trump has to get his border wall funded is this. This is his leverage, okay? It's not like there are lots of opportunities for him to use his leverage in the future. I know there are a lot of folks who are big Trump fans, Bill Mitchell, big Trump fan, saying, well, we just have to wait for him to negotiate. He has already not funded the border wall in the, in the $1.1 trillion budget he signed earlier this year. He did not attempt to fund the border wall in raising the debt ceiling. He did not attempt to fund the border wall in extending the budget for another three months. He is now not attempting to fund the border wall in DACA. So where exactly is his leverage? Where'd the leverage go? The answer is there is no leverage. The border wall appears to have been largely BS. Uh, it, it's sort of like Obama saying that he was going to close down Gitmo and then never closing down Gitmo. And Trump is, is basically, so, so initially after all of this broke last night, the White House said, hey, we didn't reach a deal. 
Okay, we didn't reach a deal. Trump, he may have talked about this stuff with Pelosi and Schumer, but we definitely did not make a deal along these lines. Then Trump got up and he started tweeting. Here's what he tweeted. No deal was made last night on DACA. Massive border security would have to be agreed to in exchange for consent. We'd be subject to vote. Okay, well, but wait a second. You said there was no deal reached. And then the next, the exact next sentence, you say, massive border security would have to be agreed to. Not a wall, massive border security. So that's exactly what Schumer and Pelosi said. Then he said, this is really amazing, the wall, which is already under construction in the form of new renovation of old and existing fences and walls, will continue to be built. That's not building the wall. That's renovating existing fences. I don't remember the, the large crowds of people chanting, build the new renovation of old and existing fences and walls. Build the new renovation of old and existing fences and walls. Now, admittedly, it's a bit of a mouthful, but um, that's not what they were chanting. And Trump himself said during the campaign, he used build the wall as his go-to. He, he said this openly in interviews. He said it to the New York Times. He said, you know, when my crowd gets bored, all I have to do is say build the wall and they go crazy. They go crazy. So it was always a slogan. Then Trump starts going full on lefty. Okay, here's what he says. He says, does anybody really want to throw out good, educated and accomplished young people who have jobs, some serving in the military? Really? Um, you, five seconds ago, five seconds ago, a lot of members of your base, five seconds ago. Okay, Donald Trump campaigned on this. He kept saying, we either, have, we either have a country or we don't, right? I mean, you remember this. You were here. Okay, the gaslighting is so irritating. The gaslighting is so stupid. We were all here. We were all present. We were all accounted for. Okay, we were all watching this. It was the most watched election in American history. We all remember what you said. But now Trump is swiveling about face. And then he says, they've been in our country for many years through no fault of their own, brought in by parents at young age, plus big border security. Okay, he should finish this by saying, please clap. Okay, this is low energy Jeb. Okay, they should put an exclamation point, a wilting exclamation point after Trump's name because of this. This is, this is exactly Jeb Bush's policy. Like word for word, Jeb Bush's policy and Jeb Bush's defense of the policy. It was Marco Rubio's policy. Okay, Donald Trump spent four years ripping Rubio and Jeb and even Cruz. You guys are not sufficiently tough on border security. And then he walks across the aisle and talks to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And people are blaming Ryan and McConnell for this somehow? And maybe Donald Trump is one, not a very good negotiator, and two, desperately wants the approval of Democrats because he's sort of a career Democrat. Maybe that's the problem here. Okay, not that anybody could have predicted anything like this or anything. I mean, who, who could have possibly predicted that this would actually be the sort of thing that he would do? I mean, who could have predicted that this would be his immigration policy? I'll tell you who could have predicted it in just one second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Skillshare. So are you a professional who's looking to make your resume better? Do you want to add some impressive skills? Do you want to launch that side business or pick up a new passion project? That's what Skillshare is for. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 17,000 classes in design, business, and more. You can learn everything from logo design to social media marketing to street photography, unlimited access to all of this for one low monthly price. You never pay per class again. So I personally have been looking at the Skillshare class. I told you I took a watercolor class. Now I'm taking a Google Analytics class because I'd like to see how analytics works better. All of these are, are done in, in bite-sized increments, so you really get a lot of information out of a short period of time. And as I say, they have a wide variety of classes that makes you an expert in whatever field you choose to enter. Okay, Skillshare right now is giving my listeners a month of unlimited access absolutely free. So you can go and check it out, see if you like it. You will. Go to Skillshare.com slash Shapiro. That's Skillshare.com slash Shapiro to redeem your free month. 
Okay, again, skillshare.com slash Shapiro, and you redeem your free month there. I mean, the list of, of classes is virtually endless, and it is all great stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it, to, to be an expert on a particular topic requires that you know a little bit about it, and Skillshare can make you an expert on a number of topics. It's just terrific. Skillshare.com slash Ben. Check it out. Okay, so who could have predicted this sort of policy? Who possibly could have predicted this? What would you say if you knew somebody who'd written in, say, May 2016, like May 25th, 2016, quote, a President Trump would indeed sign an executive order to build a wall with Mexico. After being informed by his advisors that such a wall would actually look more like sections of barrier punctuated by high-tech touch fences, Trump would also quietly concede. He would build sections that resemble a wall, mostly for symbolic purposes. Trump would probably staff up ICE, but we'd see no mass deportations. He would revoke President Obama's DACA, but he would not replace it with a harsh enforcement operation. The cost and political blowback would be too steep. Despite promises to do so, Trump would not dramatically curtail the number of high-tech visas handed out. He's made clear he believes American wages are already too high. Trump would, however, implement new restrictions on immigration from Muslim countries. Who could have predicted such a thing? Can you think of anyone who would have predicted such a thing, say, more than a year ago, just by watching what Trump was saying? Hmm? Who? Here's a clue. It's me. Okay, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> this is not hard to predict. That's the point, okay? I and mean, this is not me just patting myself on the back, although I do love doing that. The fact is that what happened here was utterly predictable if you did not actually want to, if you did not actually want to deceive yourself here. So people who are very disappointed today, it's because you weren't watching closely. I understand you were hopeful. And you can still say, look, it still applies better than Hillary. Still applies because, honest to God, dog feces in the presidency would be better than Hillary. But that's not the question. The question right now is, did Trump just break his key campaign promise? And the answer is pretty clearly yes. I mean, listen to how Trump is talking about this. So Trump is now saying that everyone agrees on Obama's executive amnesty. I was here when he was saying it had to go. I was here when he used to say things like America first, we either have a border or we don't, people are going to have to leave. Now what's he saying? Something completely different. Take this and listen to what Trump has to say here. We want to get massive border security and I think that both Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, I think they agree with it, but so we met last night with, as you know, Schumer, Pelosi and a whole group and I think we're fairly close, but we have to get massive border security. Oh, I think he's on board. Yeah, Mitch is on board. Paul Ryan's on board. We all feel, look, 92% of the people agree on DACA. But what we want is we want very, very powerful border security. 92% of the people agree on DACA. Okay, but those weren't the people who voted for you, and those were the people who you were saying were, were, going, to, were, were going to be pleased with your presidency. Okay, honest to God, if you just read what Trump said in Obama's voice, it's, it's totally Obama's line of thinking, right? Just read this tweet. Does anybody really want to throw out good, educated, accomplished young people who have jobs, some serving in the military? They've been in the country for many years through no fault of their own, brought in by parents at a young age. We need big border security for sure, but Mitch is on board, Paul Ryan is on board. We all feel, look, 92% of people agree on DACA. When you read it in Obama's voice, suddenly you start getting pissed, don't you? Because it's Obama's policy. I do love in that clip where Trump starts to say Nancy, and then he shifts and realizes he shouldn't say Nancy, he should say Pelosi, because it makes him sound like he's getting close with Chuck and Nancy. It's pretty amazing. And then he was asked about this again. And listen to this, listen to this, this little lie here. This is pretty amazing. He's asked about amnesty, because this is amnesty, okay, guys? When you talk about giving legal citizenship to all of the people who are here illegally, that is amnesty. Here's Trump. 
We're not looking at citizenship. We're not looking at amnesty. We're looking at allowing people to stay here. We're working with everybody, Republican. We're working with Democrat. I just spoke with Paul Ryan. He's on board. Everybody's on board. Uh, they want to do something. We're not talking about amnesty. We're not talking. Do you get that? We're not talking about amnesty anymore. This is exactly what Marco Rubio used to say. It's what the Gang of Eight used to say. It's not amnesty. It's the path to legalization. I mean, they just get to stay here. And everybody's like, wait, no, 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 that's amnesty. Now Trump says it. And every oh, well, I guess if he says it's not amnesty, it's a he should know. I mean, if it's not amnesty, it's not am Don't be a fool. Of course, it's amnesty. And of course, Trump was going to do this. And of course, Trump did do this. What does this say? It says that Trump has no principles. Even the ones where he was most rooted to principle were not really his principles. He shifted his immigration positions a thousand times during this campaign and before it. Okay, so, so anyone who's surprised by this was, was blinding themselves. Again, this is not a case against voting for Trump. Okay, that election is over. And I'm very, very glad that Hillary Clinton is not president, which we'll discuss in just a second, as we discussed yesterday. But that is not the same thing as saying that Trump is some sort of promise keeper that you can trust to negotiate on behalf of the people who voted for him, because that's just not true. And then people in the White House are chortling about this stuff. Okay, Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday at the White House, she says, you know, Trump's done more for bipartisanship than Obama ever did. The president's negotiated on behalf of the American people exactly what he was elected to do. And the idea that you guys keep trying to distort this into a bad thing is, I think, exactly why uh, this president was elected. They were sick and tired of business as usual. They wanted somebody who would break up the status quo that would bring people from both sides of the table together to have conversations. This president's done more for bipartisanship in the last eight days than Obama did in eight years. Yes, that's not why he ran. We didn't run him so he could be bipartisan. We ran him because we thought that Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell were a bunch of weaklings who kept surrendering to the Democrats. Okay, you don't get to use the logic. Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, those cuckety cuck cuck cucks constantly su surrendering to the Obama agenda. Then Trump gets in there and implements the Obama agenda. And you go, if those cucks block that man, if they block that Obama agenda, Okay, that wasn't even uh, the only bad story last night from the White House. This one is from The Hill. President Trump was open to the idea of a, of a bipartisan Obamacare stabilization bill, but did not make any commitments during a meeting Wednesday with a group of House lawmakers, attendees said. The bipartisan group of lawmakers, known as the problem solvers, pitched Trump on their plans to stabilize Obamacare markets. He was clearly open to it, intrigued, said Representative Josh Gottheimer, Democrat of New Jersey, a co-chair of the group. Gottheimer said there was some discussion of the possibility that Democrats could call the bill a fix and Republicans could call it something else. I'll call it a fix. Others will call it what they want. But it matters less about what you call it than what it is. He was very intrigued by that. So now Trump is saying that he'll work with Democrats to fix Obamacare, and then he'll call it repeal, and we'll be told that if we don't support his fixes to Obamacare, then we are cucks again. I mean, this, is, this whole thing is so annoying. Trump on taxes yesterday, so he says he has a tax plan. But what is his talking point on the tax plan? That he's not going to give a tax cut to the rich. Okay, let's be fair. Let's be clear about something. The rich pay the vast majority of income tax in the United States by a long shot, by a huge percentage. But here's Trump mimicking the Democratic talking point. We're looking at a 15% rate, and we want a 15% rate because that would bring us low, not by any means the lowest, but it would bring us to a level where China and other countries are, and we will be able to compete with anybody. Nobody will be able to touch us. So we would like to see 15%, okay? Thank you very much, everybody. And by the way, lower and lower for individuals, much lower than that for individuals. And uh, the rich will not be gaining at all with this plan. We're, not, we're looking for the middle class and we're looking for jobs.
Okay, the rich, if you want to cut taxes, you have to cut them on the rich. According to the Tax Foundation, an, an, an analysis of IRS data shows the top 1% of taxpayers paid 40.4% of total income taxes collected by the federal government, the highest percentage in modern history. The bottom 95% paid 39.4% of the income tax burden. You got that? The top 1% paid more in income tax than the bottom 95%. So who the hell are you going to cut taxes on exactly? All of this is just democratic talking points dressed up as populism, dressed up as populism. It is not populism, okay? Populism is, is just a strategy. Populism is not an actual ideology. This whole thing is, is highly annoying. It's mostly annoying because, again, we were told over and over and over that Trump was going to be a solid conservative when he was in office, or at least if he was going to be a populist, he was going to mirror a lot of conservative talking points. Instead, it seems like his negotiation strategy, at least in the last couple of weeks, has been surrender whatever you want to the Democrats. If that's going to be the next three and a half years, boy, it's a problem. And I'm not the only one saying this, okay? You know, for people who say, well, you never liked Trump very much to begin with. Sean Hannity did. Laura Ingram did. Ann Coulter did. Breitbart did. They are all saying the same thing that I am today. They are all saying the same thing that I am. Because the bottom line is, I expect a Republican to act like a conservative. And so do these people, at least on this issue. So it's, it's really irritating. Now, that said, I think this does explain a little bit, you know, Trump being who Trump is. I think this does explain a little bit why it is that Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 election. So she continues her tour of stupidity. Um, she is, uh, she's going around whining. This is her new life story. I mean, I shouldn't say new. She's been doing this her entire career, but now she's whining for actual pay. Uh, she's going around talking about how she was jobbed. It was just a, she, she would have won this thing if it hadn't been for the cruelty of fate. Oh, no. So here's Hillary Clinton saying she would have been seen as a genius if she'd won the election. Well, I thought it was pretty revolutionary that I was the first woman to have a realistic chance of becoming president. So I don't know how any woman who is not familiar to people, since we have so many hurdles to overcome, could have even uh, been in that position that I found myself. Um, so if I'd won, uh, you know, I would have been seen as a genius. My campaign would have been seen as perfect. I understand all of that. Uh, no, if you had won, then you would have not been considered a genius. You would have been seen as someone who beat the weakest Republican candidate in the history of political parties. I mean, Donald Trump was running with a 35% approval rating and he beat you. And no one would have seen you as a genius. It was it, You were supposed to win this race. The reason Hillary Clinton didn't, this, didn't win this race is because she's incredibly off-putting and because she has no capacity toward introspection at all. There's never a point where she looks inside herself and goes, say, I wonder why people don't like me. I wonder. Instead, it's always the world that's the problem. She was asked yesterday by Matt Lauer, did you make enough mistakes to lose? And she says, no, of course I didn't make enough mistakes to lose. It was you, you evil Americans, you sexist racists. Here's Hillary Clinton looking very much like Veruca, uh, like, uh, like the, the, what's the, what's it? not Veruca? Uh, who's the, who's the, who's the big blueberry in, uh, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? In any case, here's Hillary Clinton, uh, who, who slightly resembles a sky blue blueberry in, in on, on the set with Matt Lauer. There is a lot of criticism in this book and effort of full disclosure. You criticize me pretty soundly in a few pages of this book. When it comes to the self-inflicted wounds, mm -hmm. when you look at the list of them and you go through them in the book, mm -hmm. did you make enough mistakes yourself to lose the election without any of the other things you talk about? Well, I will say no, Matt. Uh, I don't think that will surprise you. But, you know, also, this book has a lot of behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to run for president, particularly, again, as a woman. Okay, so I love that. that, that it's, it's all about that, that uh, she didn't make any mistakes, right? Everything was absolutely perfect. Everything was just great. 
It's really the fault of the Americans. And she just continues doing this. This is her tour now. This is her tour, okay? And I'm going to explain why that matters in just one second, why Democrats should look out, because if they think that they can just campaign against Trump, they've got another thing coming. They've got another thing coming. But before I get to that, first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Beachbody On Demand. So do you look at me and say, dude, that guy's ripped? Well, if you don't, then you should, because I am. And also, you should go and you should work out a lot. And no matter what you think of me, you may think, well, he seems kind of scrawny. Well, that's because you need to work out more, as do I. And that's why I use Beachbody On Demand. It's an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective, world-class workouts, personalized to meet your needs, plus extensive nutritional content. It's all geared toward helping people achieve their health and fitness goals. We're talking familiar brand stuff you already know, PEO, P90X, 21 Day Fix, T25, Three Week Yoga Retreat, right? All these brands are included in the Beachbody On Demand program. Plus, they also can give you nutrition programs, not just the workout programs. When I'm on the road, I always use Beachbody On Demand. You know, when I'm at home, I can go to the gym. But when I'm on the road, then I need to work out in my room sometimes. And one of the great things about Beachbody On Demand is they have all of these programs where you really don't need gear in order for you to, to get fit. That's what's great about Beachbody On Demand. And they get their get your nutrition in line as well. They also include brand new first-of-its-kind cooking show for healthy weight loss and portion control. This is called Fixate. It'll teach you how to cook healthy, delicious, and simple recipes for you and your family. They have over 100 recipe videos to help you cook healthier because it's not just about the sort of effort you put into exercise. It's also about the crap you put in your body. Make sure that you don't do that. That's what Beachbody On Demand is there for. Again, my listeners can claim a free trial membership. Just text Shapiro to 303030. So text the number 303030. Text Shapiro to 303030, and you get free access to the entire platform for free. It's a free trial membership, so you can try it out, see how much you like it. I promise once you've got it, you're never going to want to give it up because there's such a wide variety of programming. You're never going to get bored, and it really gets you in shape. That's always been my big problem when I work out is that if I go in and do the same routine every day, I get very bored very easily. With Beachbody On Demand, you never get bored because you can use a different program every time if you want. It's fantastic. Beachbody On Demand, text Shapiro to 303030, Shapiro to 303030. And yes, I do use Beachbody On Demand very frequently, and I do work out every day, which is why, I mean— Look at Berkeley. Look how they're preparing for me. They're afraid I'm going to walk in there and I'm just going to take iron barriers and fling them just with one hand. I'm just going to pick up the, those cement K-bars and just chuck them. It'll be amazing. I mean, just watch for it tonight. It'll be unbelievable. Okay, so the reason that Hillary's awfulness actually matters is because I think that this should, this should be a warning to Republicans and Democrats, Hillary Clinton. She should be a warning to all people, right? She, she, she's like Dante's seventh circle of hell. Abandon all hope, uh, all ye who enter here. But when it comes to Hillary Clinton... What Democrats should realize is that they can run a candidate just as charmless as Hillary Clinton and lose to Donald Trump. And Republicans should recognize that Donald Trump is not on a pathway to victory just because he beat the least popular Democratic candidate in the history of American politics. Okay, the Democratic candidate matters, in other words. It's not just about Trump. It's also about who the Democrats run. So, And right now, what's, what's fascinating is that the, the Democrats obviously think that they've got a no-lose situation with Trump. They think right now because he's cutting deals, he will continue to be unpopular. He won't gain radically in popularity. They can always shellack him later. He'll always be Trump. He'll always make a mistake. And so they may as well get what they can get, right? They may as well get a bunch of lefty policy, split the Republican Party, create a civil war. This is why Trump needs to understand that without his base, he's got nothing. Okay, without his base, he doesn't have the middle. He doesn't have the left. And no matter how much he reaches over to the other side, no matter how many New York Times editorials talk about the new independent Trump, people are not moving toward him because he's already decided in the public mind. Hillary had the same problem in this election cycle. She kept trying to redefine herself. There is no way to redefine Hillary Clinton. There is no way to redefine Donald Trump. Okay, so uh, I, I want to discuss also the situation with uh, Jamil Hill. She's the, the woman on SportsCenter 6, SC6, 
uh, who ripped into President Trump, because this is actually a story that's now going undercover because there's so much news. But for that, you're going to have to go over to Daily Wire and become a subscriber. For $9.99 a month, you can be a subscriber to Daily Wire. It'll make your life immensely better. It will make you, you, you will just enjoy it so much. Okay, you watch my show live. You can get it later without any ads. You can watch Andrew Clavin's show live. You can watch Michael Knowles' show live. You can be part of the mailbags. And that, that means mailbags that we do special. Like next Tuesday, we're doing a, a Facebook Q&A, and you can ask questions live if you subscribe. That's $9.99 a month for that plus you get our website without a banner ads the banner ads just go away which is pretty cool you get all that plus if you subscribe annually you get this the very finest in beverage vessels okay the pellet with the poisons and the vessel with the pestle this right here is better than any of those okay and this is it's better than the flagon with the dragon it's better than the vessel with the pestle it has the brew that is true Okay, the leftist here is hot or cold tumbler. You get that for just a $99 investment per year, the annual subscription. Uh, it, is, uh, it is the greatest thing that you will ever own. Uh, and if you don't understand the reference, then go watch The Court Jester, you film illiterate. Okay, so uh, if you just want to listen later, go over to SoundCloud or iTunes, hit subscribe, uh, and, uh, and leave us a review. We always appreciate it. Plus, please go over to our YouTube channel and subscribe there as well. We put up all of my videos over at YouTube under the Daily Wire YouTube channel, so please subscribe over there. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast in the nation. So yesterday, in a story that has basically now been eaten, completely eaten by the next news cycle, Berkeley and Trump uh, and the Trump wall and all this, uh, Jamel Hill was this this commentator who we talked about yesterday. Uh, she is a is a black woman who uh, was who's on SC6. Okay, SC6 is not a show I like. I do not enjoy the show. I think it's a bad show. Michael Smith and Jamel Hill. Um, but she goes on Twitter and she says that Trump is a white supremacist, surrounds himself with white supremacists, etc. Okay, it's basically just warmed over Ta-Nehisi Coates. Well, the White House is asked about this yesterday, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders says from the podium of the White House that she should probably be fired. I think that's one of the more outrageous comments that anyone could make, uh, and certainly something that I think is a fireable offense by ESPN. Okay, this is stuff no White House should say. Imagine for a second that I said something on CNN. Let's, let's imagine I was a CNN contributor, ha, ha, ha. And let's imagine that I was on CNN, and I said something nasty about President Obama. And the Obama White House then said they should fire him as a contributor. Okay, that would be wildly inappropriate. Government officials should not be calling for firings of private individuals based on expression of opposition to the government, to, to members of the government. It's just, it does not come off well. It is not pro-First Amendment. I don't understand how you can say that you want Jamel Hill fired, but then say that it's bad if Brendan Eich over at Mozilla Firefox is fired because he supports Proposition 8, upholding traditional marriage. Right? It's, it's one or the other. Okay, You got to say that people either should not be fired for expressing their political views or they should be fired based on you don't like their political views. But I, I'm, there's a lot of talk about snowflakery, and there should be, right? I'm going to go visit a bunch of snowflakes up in Berkeley today. But snowflakery exists on both sides. If you're that offended by Jamel Hill, I recommend that you get a life. Okay, Jamel Hill said some stuff. I don't agree with the stuff that she says. Lots of people say stuff that I don't agree with. She not only has a right to say it, she's basically given free reign by ESPN. The, the people here who I think are the biggest hypocrites are ESPN. I think ESPN is absurd. ESPN is willing to get rid of Mike Ditka, uh, get rid of Kurt Schilling for no apparent reason except that they are conservative. But Jamel Hill, they issue a statement about how they don't like her politics, and then they don't suspend her. The double standard is telling, but the solution to that is not Jamel Hill being fired. It's ESPN hiring people like Mike Ditka and Kurt Schilling and Rush Limbaugh, by the way, instead of doing this routine where they fire everyone conservative and keep everybody on the left. Okay. Time for some things I like and then some things I hate and then the big idea. So 
things I like. We've been doing old Disney movies this week, and so this is one of my favorites. Uh, for some reason, it, it, it really is annoying. There's some Disney movies that are not available on Amazon Prime. You have to order the old DVDs. Like, Disney only releases these every so often. Uh, Lady and the Tramp is one of these. This one came out in the 50s, uh, and Lady and the Tramp is just great. It's just, it's, it's a terrific film. Uh, it's, it, it's really clever. There are certain things in it that you don't understand when you're a kid watching it. Like, Lady's owners are named Jim Deere and Darling, and the reason that they are called Jim Deere and Darling is not because that's their actual names. It's because that's what they call each other, and the dog doesn't understand their actual names. So it's, it's, it's all very charming. And it, this is the, the, a lot of the stuff about the Disney films that, that's really great is they work on two levels. They work when you're a kid because they're really enjoyable and fun. And then when you're an adult, they also work because there are a bunch of jokes that if you're a kid, you're just not going to get. Uh, it's a really, really charming, lovely film. Uh, and again, all the old films are about heroism and self-sacrifice. Um, and sacrificing yourself for your family. That's, that's really what all of the old Disney films are about. Lady and the Tramp's about that, too. Here's some of the preview. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a preview of the motion picture event soon to be seen in this theater. We would like to show you and tell you something about Walt Disney's Lady and the Tramp. It's his happiest motion picture, a story about dogs. Open your heart and build some glowing memories as Walt Disney takes you into that wonderful world you always hoped did exist and never knew for sure until now, the world of dogs. The, the old previews are so To anyone fun. who's they ever really owned a dog, loved it's a dog, or just wanted a dog, this picture is yours, heart and soul. And the music's really great. Now, the, the one of the things that's the happened with a lot of the old Disney movies is that there are a bunch of people who complain about the racial stereotyping in the old Disney movies. So, like, there's in, in this movie, there's a scene where Lady and the Tramp, they're having spaghetti together, you see it in the preview, and there's a, a guy who owns an Italian restaurant who comes out, and he's basically just an Italian stereotype. Okay, if you really think that that created massive anti-Italian sentiment, it's because you're stupid. Okay, in the 1950s, Yes, there was racism. Yes, there were people who hated each other based on ethnic identity. That's true. But if you really think that Lady and the Tramp was the source of that, it's because you're dumb. It's the same sort of people who think that the name Washington Redskins leads people to hate Indians, uh, hate Native Americans. Really, really stupid. So, okay. Uh, other things that I like. So, this is a pretty spectacular story. Harrison Ford punched Ryan Gosling. And that in and of itself is just amazing. You just have to love that. And then he explained why he punched Ryan Gosling. He said... We were just doing a fight scene, and you know, it just happened. What was funny was, when it was over, they brought ice for my face, and Harrison pushed me out of the way, this is Gosling, and stuck his fist in the ice. <laughs> I asked him the other day where he got a sense of humor from. Was it his mother or his father? He said, Sears. And he didn't have much time to shop around, so he just had to grab one and get out. You know, he's tough. He's been an inspiration to everyone. Everyone is doing push-ups and taking an interest in their fitness. And, and Gosling said, look at it this way, you just got hit by Indiana Jones. And then Ford was asked about it, and he said, I punched Ryan Gosling in the face. And then he said, Ryan Gosling's face was where it should not have been. His job was to be out of range of the punch. My job was also to make sure I pulled the punch. But we were moving, and the camera was moving, so I had to be aware of the angle of the camera to make the punch look good. You know, I threw about 100 punches in the shooting of it, and I only hit him once. And he was asked, so should he be, he be grateful? And Ford said, I, I pointed that out. And he said, the one that did connect, that's 100% his fault? I said, no. I mean, I suppose it's 90% his fault. And the person said, that's very, and then Ford finishes, generous of me. And, and then the guy said, he said you went to his dressing room with a bottle of scotch. And Ford said, I did. And he says, and poured him a glass and then walked out with the bottle. And Ford said, yeah. What did he effing expect? The whole bottle? You know, I figured one drink would fix it. That was enough. Awesome. I, I love it. And then he calls him a mouseketeer. Pretty amazing. He says, 
He was fun to work with. I like him a lot. He's a smart guy. I mean, he's an effing mouseketeer. He's been doing this since he was six years old or something. He knows what he's doing. Harrison Ford, man. Ah, all the Harrison Ford. Just awesome. I think they should remake Blade Runner, but they should not have Ryan Gosling in it at all. It should just be old Harrison Ford being Harrison Ford. Like just having a camera follow that guy around would be incredible. Apparently, he's supposed to be really great to the staff on set also. He's, he's one of the nicest guys in Hollywood from what people say. Okay, um, time for a thing that I hate, and then we'll get to the big idea. So Steve Mnuchin apparently really, really likes living on the public dime. ABC News reported last night, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin requested a government jet to take him and his newlywed wife on their honeymoon early this summer. He is worth $300 million or something like that, Steve Mnuchin. Mnuchin allegedly asked for an Air Force jet, which according to an Air Force spokesman cost $25,000 per hour to operate to take him and his bride, Louis Linton, to their multi-destination honeymoon, which included Scotland, France, and Italy. That's insane. He is worth $300 million and he wanted taxpayers to pay for his flight. Okay, if you, serious MAGA action right there from Steve Mnuchin. You don't get to complain about Barack Obama wasting lots of money on vacations and then say it's okay when Trump does the same or when Steve Mnuchin does the same. All these people who want to live off the largesse of the government, it's really gross. It's really gross. And this is why the founders actually, many of them favored the idea of having wealthy men in government because it was supposed to be public service, not the public serving you. But apparently it no longer, I mean, that's so gauche. You're worth 300 million bucks and you can't just get, you can't just charter a plane. Ridiculous. Okay. Time for the big idea. So on Thursdays, we talk about just a big idea that gives you background that you need to know. So today, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to do the history of immigration, okay, because I think people get this wrong. So Steve Bannon said in his interview on 60 Minutes that America was built on its citizens. It wasn't built on immigration. This is uh, a, a rather stupid dichotomy, okay? A lot of the immigrants, a lot of the citizens who came here were immigrants. In fact, virtually all of them were immigrants. A huge percentage of people who entered the United States during the 19th century were immigrants because the idea was that people were needed to fill the continent. That was the idea. There was manifest destiny idea that America was destined to take over the continent and we needed more people to do it. Immigration in the United States was basically wide open until the late 19th century and it was only curtailed with the growth of the power of the federal government. The, only, the first serious federal regulation of immigration began in 1875, 100 years after the founding of the country, with laws directed toward preventing the entry of prostitutes and convicts. There was concern about cultural assimilation and real worries about undercutting the price of labor, right? Just the same as a lot of the worries today. That's what started the 1882 Chinese immigration laws that stopped the, the Chinese from immigrating. Some of that was xenophobia. A lot of it was concerns about the price of labor going, uh, going down because of an influx of labor. Uh, in 1885, Congress banned importation of all contract labor, so you couldn't just import people and hire them to a contract. So where did the immigrants come from? This is one of the big questions because... The changing demographics of the country are largely due to immigration. Well, from 1820 to 1930, 4.5 million Irish people came to the United States. During the 19th century, 5 million Germans came into the United States as well. Between 1880 and 1920, 2 million Jews entered the United States. Overall, during that period, 1880 to 1920, 20 million new people entered the country. In 1924, largely as a backlash to Jewish immigration, Congress passed a law restricting entry to 2% of the 1890 population for particular groups. So if there are 100,000 Jews who entered in 1890, then only 2,000 Jews could enter now. That was the, that was the idea uh, behind this immigration bill, and it was supposed to sort of freeze in place the levels of immigration that were entering the country from particular other countries. It was meant to crack down on the Eastern European Jewish influx, as well as the influxes from Asia. It actually banned outright immigration of Asians and Arabs. 
Uh, one of the things that's it's kind of unpleasant to mention about the Immigration Act of 1924, but it's true, is that one of the reasons for the ban on immigration was eugenics. There were a lot of people who thought that this was somehow degrading the cultural stock, not just the cultural, the genetic stock of the United States, and so you couldn't have all these stupid foreigners coming in here and making people dumb. It was almost an alt-right approach to immigration. The biggest change to immigration actually did not come, though, until 1965. In 1965, we had the, the Immigration and Nationality Act. This was pushed by Ted Kennedy. This is what Ann Coulter talks about a lot. It banned quotas based on nationality and allowed Americans to sponsor their relatives. So by banning the quotas based on nationality, you got a huge influx of people coming in from Latin America and from third world countries. Uh, as of 1970, there were only 9 million Hispanics in the United States. Today, there are 60 million. The Migration Policy Institute says this, the law placed an annual cap of 170,000 visas for immigrants from the Eastern Hemisphere, with no single country allowed more than 20,000 visas, and for the first time established a cap of 120,000 visas for immigrants from the Western Hemisphere. Three quarters of admissions were reserved for those arriving in family categories. Immediate relatives were exempt from the caps. This was the thing, right? So if you had a lot of immigrants from Latin America and Central America, and there were lots of them during the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, they were now allowed to do family reunification and bring in their entire families, and they were not subject to the caps. 24% of all family visas were assigned to siblings of U.S. citizens. In 1976, the 20,000 per country limit was applied to the Western Hemisphere, and then in 1978, there was a worldwide quota. Also in that same year, in 1960, well, around that same time, in 1964, the government killed the Bracero program, which was a work permit program. Instead, what you had was, as a reaction, a lot of people sponsoring the influx of, of their, their relatives into the country. So you do see a major demographic shift in the nature of people who are coming into the country. If you look at U.S. immigrant population by world region of birth from 1960 to 2013, what you see is that the Americas move from being approximately 15 to 20 percent of the immigrants uh, in 1960 to being well over 50% of all of the immigrants in the United States by 2013. So it's a major shift. It's a major shift. Originally in 1960, more than 75% of all immigrants in the United States in 1960 were from Europe. Today, that number is about 12%. So you see a massive shift in demographics. Okay, that does not mean that people who want to restrict immigration are doing so based on racism. There are good cultural reasons. You know, if you let's say you have a, a baseline cultural test and it says, do you believe X, Y and Z? And people fail that test. They don't get in. That's a different thing than saying we just don't want brown people here, which is what the left says that immigration restrictionists want to say. To me, the only two reasons to have any sort of restrictions on immigration are cost to the government. Right? If you're living off of welfare, if you're taking public benefits or you refuse to culturally assimilate to the United States. So those are the only two real reasons. I don't believe the nonsense about undercutting the price of labor. That's the same argument you can make about a minimum wage, right? You could say that we just want to restrict the labor supply. I'm not for restricting labor supplies. It undercuts the economic growth of a country. Okay, so there you go. There's a little bit of background about the history of immigration. It is not true that we have always, that, that we've never had immigration restriction. That's not true. And it's also not true that all of the people who made the country great were quote unquote citizens who were born here and came over on the Mayflower. Okay, it's just not true either. All right, so we'll be back here tomorrow to recap how it goes over at Berkeley. Tonight, if you want to watch my speech at Berkeley, go over to dailywire.com. We are going to be embedding a live stream, so you can check it out over there, full-on coverage. Uh, and it should be lots of fun, and hopefully nobody gets hurt. I mean, really, people who are coming, I, I hope and pray you come for an actual honest discussion, but given the preparations the PD are making, uh, that seems probably a little bit of wishful thinking on my part. All right, well, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show.
We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 